Thank you so much, Lillian, for reading that to us. And if you're watching online, please can I encourage you to have your Bible at hand, and we're going to be drawing out a few things, a few themes from Luke chapter 4. I'm delighted to be speaking to you, sharing with you this morning. And we're continuing our series looking at Jesus, the one and only. And today we're focusing on Jesus as the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. Yesterday afternoon I watched the uh, classic movie, Troy. And uh, in it, the battle lines are drawn between two Greek armies. And the commanders decide that rather than have a bloody battle between all of these sort of aligned ranks, that they bring out a champion from each army, and they fight, and then whoever wins, the other army will serve them. And they send for, uh, a boy is sent for Achilles, and Achilles is played by Brad Pitt, and when the boy gets to Achilles, he said this, that Thessalian that you are fighting, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. And I wouldn't want to fight him. And then Achilles replies, and that's why no one will remember your name. Achilles goes down the mountain, faces and fights and defeats his foe called Boagrius. And we remember Jesus and we remember his name because he was the one who went up against the great enemy, and he fought him, and he defeated him. So today we're looking at the name Christ. This is one of the most frequent names that is given to Jesus in the New Testament, and it occurs over 530 times. And many outside of a religious context will know the word, they may well use the word, but often it can be used as a sort of empty expletive. It's a word that is marshaled when there's something negative to respond to. It's an expression of dismay or of annoyance or shock. But the opposite was true when that word was coined, when that word was heard, and when that word was used in the first century in Israel. To them, it was a word full of hope. We've just been hearing from Dr. Brotherton about hope. Well, this was a word that was pregnant and pulsated with hope. Just the very mention of it changed the atmosphere. This was a word that expressed something of heaven on earth. It was a word that expressed something of God stepping in and showing up and making a difference and turning things around. That's what the word Christ conveyed. It was a kind of prayer and it was a kind of promise that was all concentrated in a person who would change everything for the better. Now the word Christ comes from the Greek Christos and uh, it literally means anointed with oil. The verb is creo. It means to smear. And it's a uniquely Hebrew, uniquely Jewish concept. The Hebrew word is Mashiach or Messiah. It is the anointed one. 
the one on whom oil has been poured. And that oil represented and was symbolic of the presence of God by the Spirit, the power of God's Spirit. In the Old Testament, there were three types of people who were anointed. There was the prophets, and they were anointed with oil, anointed with the Spirit to bring and to speak, to declare God's Word, that God had something to say, that He cared enough to speak, to communicate, to instruct, to direct, to encourage. The second group was the priests. The high priest was specially anointed so that he could lead people to God through worship and sacrifice. And then the third category of people who were anointed were the kings. And they were anointed to lead a realm that was marked by peace and prosperity. In the years before Jesus came, this word Christ became focused on a person, the anointing on one person, a prophet, a priest, and a king who would bring all of these things. John Piper, the Bible teacher, says, all heroes are shadows of Christ. And in the years before Jesus appeared, things were really difficult for the people of Israel. They'd returned from exile where they'd had a really rough time but even returning to the land, they were poor. They were impoverished. And then the Greeks came and oppressed them. And after the Greeks left, the Romans came, occupied them, and oppressed them. And there was a groaning and a crying that went up for them. When will the Christ appear? God's anointed one, sent by God, filled with the Spirit, who will change things for us. When I was growing up in the early 70s, there was a kind of popular meme that went around and uh, left-wingers and Trotskyites used it. And, um, but it was also a sort of, sort of a comic line. But it was this, come the revolution. Some of you remember that. Some of you probably even said it. Come the revolution. Well, there was a line that went around in those years before Jesus appeared. And it wasn't come the revolution, but it was come the Messiah, come the Christ, come the King and his kingdom. And then one day, Christ came. And that hope that we were just hearing about in that interview came to fruition. It came to focus in this person, Jesus, the one and only. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, church on a Saturday for the people of Israel. And he's handed a scroll, and it's the set reading for the day. It's from the book of Isaiah, a prophetic book that's full of hope that one day God's going to come to the rescue. And it's handed to him, and he unrolls it, and he turns to Isaiah chapter 61. And then he begins to read. We've heard it from Lillian, let me just remind you. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and to set free those who are oppressed 
and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in verse 20 it says, And he rolled up the scroll carefully. He handed it back. He sat down. That was how they taught then. And everyone looked at him. Every eye was upon him. And what did he say? He said, Today, this scripture that you've just heard is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. All that longing, all that expectation, all that hope comes to fruition and is fulfilled in me. In the words of the greatest showman, Jesus says, this is me. Jesus, in those few verses, lays out his manifesto, Messiah's manifesto. Three times he basically says he's the Christ. The Spirit is on me, the Spirit has anointed me, and the Spirit has sent me. I'm the Christ. Three times he says he's come to preach, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's got something to say, and it's his word that will set us free. And then three times he says he's the liberator. He's come to free the captive, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's freedom or favor, the year of jubilee. Well, let's just dig in a little bit closer for a few minutes. I've got two points. Firstly, this reading, this event, shows us what God is like. Shows us what God is like. Jesus is on a mission from God. God is on a mission in Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because the Spirit of the Lord has sent him with a purpose. He is the Christ. And his purpose is, as a, is, to, is a mission to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed, to those in debt, to those in slavery and oppression. It's what God is like. God is not malevolent. He's not malicious. He's not angry with us in that sense. He's not indifferent to us. And he's certainly not absent from us. He knows us and he sees us and he cares for us and he's moved by us. And in Christ, the anointed one, he moves towards us in love to change our life and our world. This manifesto shows us that he's a kind king. What kind of king is he? He's a kind one. And his is a kind kingdom. And then three times it tells us that he's come to preach. He's a speaking God. He doesn't leave us scratching around in the dark, wondering what he thinks or what he wants or how we should respond to him. But he comes to us and then he communicates with us so we know he honors us by speech. Shows us how we should live, what we should do, how we should be. My son, my youngest son, Nathaniel's at university studying psychology and counseling. And um, he said to me this week that he was rather frustrated because all the models of therapy that he's been looking at presuppose that the counselor or the therapist is not going to say anything, that they're going to sit and listen 
And hopefully, in the listening to the, the counselee, that that person will almost work out their own issues as they're sharing their own problems. Well, there's some benefit in that, of course. But it was interesting. He said, I, I'm frustrated by it. Twice he came into the living room to tell me that. The problem is some people do need advice. We need telling. We need to know which way to go. We need to know how to live. We, we need to know what God looks like and what he requires from us and how we can meet him. And Jesus comes from God. Jesus, the eternal son of God, comes anointed by the spirit of God to tell us these things. He's not left us ignorant, running around wondering. We know the will of God for our life. He comes preaching. And he speaks these words of life, an authoritative word of direction and instruction and meaning. If you've never read what Jesus has got to say, I encourage you to do it. Open the Bible at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read what Jesus had to say. These are words that give life and set us free. And then Jesus comes preaching, we're told the good news. Listen. Christianity isn't good news, and it's not good news. It's not the gospel Jesus preached. He is good news. Religion, sometimes over the centuries, that's been bad news. It's been bad news when it's deviated from what Jesus had to say in the way that, and what Jesus would have us do. But if we align with what Jesus has got to say, it is good news. It is news filled with hope and filled with life. Yesterday, Joe Biden won the presidential campaign. And that was good news for 75 million people who voted for him, 51.4%. That was bad news for 71% who didn't vote for him. And I watched an interesting um, TV uh, analysis that was looking at how different countries would respond. Was this good news or bad news to these countries? Listen, when Jesus comes preaching the good news, the only people for whom he was bad news was wicked people who wanted nothing of God. But for everyone else, this was good news. And he didn't just preach it, he brought it. He embodied it. And it's good news for the poor. Christianity is, first and foremost, for the poor. And if the poor are not the first to benefit from it, it's not really Christian. The word in the Greek here is potokos, and it literally means to cower or to crouch. It comes from a word that literally means to be hunched over. The powerless and the oppressed. It has a socioeconomic category. Uh, it also has a spiritual category, the poor in spirit. But the poor are the broken and the silenced and those who have no say. They're the little people. The last, the lost, the least, as some people say the marginalized, the powerless, without influence, those on the outside. What a wonderful thing that Christ comes for them. He sees them. He's particularly for them. And he, of course, became one of them, born at the far end of the socioeconomic uh, uh, categories, born poor manual worker, the high king of heaven becomes flesh and becomes like one of us. He's not born in Herod's palace, born like one of us, born in a stable, born poor, 
and through him making himself poor, he wants to make us rich in him. The church of Christ will always remember the poor. There's something remarkable about this reading that Jesus read from Isaiah 61. And it's this, that Jesus missed out a sentence. That Jesus missed out a line. And that line was this, that the Messiah will come to proclaim vengeance of our God. Jesus omitted that line. Why? Well, he's, he will bring the vengeance of God at his second coming. But at his first coming, it was all grace and all mercy. For those who reject that at his second coming, then there'll be vengeance. This tells us what God is like. And then it reveals to us what God does. Let me just spend a couple of minutes on this. As we finish, three times in this passage, we read about freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. There's, there's no hope if the actual situation is not going to change. But Jesus is, is the one who brings hope because he's the one who can change the situation. He talks about liberty for the captives, he sets us free from sin, the presence of it the power of it, and the consequence of it. He sets us free. Free the oppressed. This is to do with, I think, demonic. The shadows that control us and oppress us and manipulate us and addict us and torment us. He, he sets us free with his word and his power. And then it talks about proclaiming the year of Jubilee. This happened every 50 years in Hebrew culture where all the slaves were set free and every single debt outstanding was cancelled. There's a kind of socio-economic political impact to the kingdom of God. Jesus, he's the great freedom fighter. He comes to set us free. Dr. Martin Luther King famously cried, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? But Jesus came, let freedom ring. He came to set us free from every shackle and chain that binds us. On the inside, and then once free, we can change our environment on the outside. You know, I read um, some poetry and some philosophy this week of the tormented Brazilian poet Clarice Lispector. Remarkable, fascinating woman, really troubled. But she said this, she wrote this once, I've never been free my whole life. Inside, I've always chased myself. I've become intolerable to myself. I wonder if you feel like that today. Never been free. Chasing myself on the inside, never getting free. Almost disdaining yourself. Well, he loves you. You're not intolerable to him. And he's the one who comes to set us free. He is the one. He's the Christ. He's the liberator. He's the freedom fighter. And he sets us free by his word and by his power. So often there are so many things that bind us, restrict us, and chain us down and control us. And he wants to set us free that we can be the people he's called us to be. Today's Remembrance Sunday 
And we remember those who laid down their life in love so that we can enjoy freedom. A few years ago, the SAS went in and rescued British hostages in Sierra Leone. My very good friend Mark Davies, uh, whose troop it was that went in, told me that they went into the terrorist camp in Sierra Leone. He wasn't with them. He had retired the month before to set free these British hostages. And when the SAS entered the compound, they found out where the hostages were being kept. They blew the, the doors off. They then came. They blew off the locks. And there, cowering in these dark cells, tormented and tortured, were these British hostages. And the SAS troopers said, we are here to set you free, but you've got to come with us now. We're here to set you free, but you've got to get up and come with us now. And they did. They sort of rose up out of the stupor, and they followed this SAS trooper out to the helicopter that was waiting for them. They got on the helicopter, and just as they were getting on, the trooper who had set them free was shot and was dead before he hit the floor. They picked him up. They put him in the helicopter. All the troops were here, but you'll know some of those helicopters, they lift up the rear first. And as they did, this helicopter, this SAS man's blood poured down around the feet of those who'd been rescued. And my friend said they knew the cost of their freedom. Jesus is the freedom fighter, and he comes to set us free. And he sets us free with his word, with his power, but ultimately through his death that pays for all our sins. We know the cost of freedom, a life laid down. I finish with this. This week, there was an amazing scene in the news. 65 hours after a devastating earthquake in Turkey, rescue workers were digging through the rubble, and they saw this pale, little, two- or three-year-old infant's lifeless body. They think this is a, a dead child, crushed by all this rubble, been there for two and a half days, suffocating. And the rescuer called for a body bag. And as the rescuer reached down to just pick up this, what he thought, dead body, a little hand of this little girl reached out and grabbed his thumb on the right hand. Everyone wept. Life, freedom, hope, and a future. You know, there's a strange verse in the Old Testament. It says that the anointed priest is to have his right thumb anointed with oil. What on earth is that all about? I'm not sure. But I want to encourage you today, reach out from the rubble in your life and lay hold of that right hand, that thumb of the anointed Priest, King, Prophet, Messiah, the Christ.